All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Can you see it? Did you notice? Checked, but the puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice. Ed You're listening to Canucks Conversation. Quinn Hughes, beat reporter here. Like, I don't, I don't cover the Canucks. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. A member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I wanted them in and down. Wow. We should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. What a Don't waste all the good stuff on the off-air. Let's go. Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation, brought to you by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. You can use promo code Hockey Season, capital H, capital S, all one word, Hockey Season, at ZephyrEpic.com, Z-E-P-H-Y-R, Epic, on all platforms. Go check them out on Twitch. 
weekly case breaks. Go buy yourself a spot in one of those. Lots of fun. Lots of fun there. Hockey season. Promo code hockey season capital H capital S. That will get you $5 off your order. Zephyr Epic. Our friends at Zephyr Epic. Ship free anywhere in Canada on orders over $50. Harmon, you got two cities for us? I, I, I can take it if you want me to. I had your mic muted. I'm sorry. Say that again for the listeners. My brain's fried right now. I'm like running off fumes, so you take it for sure. Yeah. From Shimanus, yeah, to sh- oh man, to Sycamus, but those don't work. You know what? Hold on, hold on. Uh, my name is David Quadrelli. I'm joined as always by the man who built the place, Chris Faber, and we are also joined in studio by Harmon Dial. Lots of fun. Uh, nice to have Harmon back in the studio. Just came back from Canucks practice. Lots of fun. I'm literally just killing time because I'm looking for a DM that someone sent me um, with a bunch of, bunch of, yeah. Charlottetown to Shamanus. That was what I was looking for. That's it, eh? I tried to, re- I had your mic muted too. I'm, I'm on fire as a producer. Wow. Yeah. You wouldn't be getting any time at 6.50, that's for sure. I already get time at 6.50. That's just true. You didn't booth. even have to spend year, like a full year producing nope. shows. I just, Big walked, shot. In, I just walked in. I run that place. Look at us well, entitled Gen Zs. Exactly. Yeah, you kids so nowadays. I we tell have you. some stories about that, but we are also delivered to you by the great folks at DoorDash. Use promo code CONVODD, capital C, capital D's, all one word, CONVODD. That will get you 25% off your first order and free delivery does not get much better than that, folks. As I've already said, my name is Dave Grigioli, Chris Faber, Harmon Dial joining me. Harmon and I were at Canucks practice in my old hometown. Of Burnaby, British Columbia. Man, that should have been in it. Let's see. Burnaby to Baffin Island. Burnaby to Banff. Okay. Yeah. Burnaby, Burnaby to Banff, Banff isn't very far. It's not. It's still I like the I like that one though. Yeah, but but Zephyr Epic. Banff is like one of my favorite sounding cities in Canada. Absolutely. Banff. Banff. Harm one of Thunder the, Bay. One of the Banff boys over here. Thunder. We got him in the room. Yeah, we, we have one of the Banff boys with us. Thunder Bay is a good one too. That's a pretty hard name, yeah. Is there a sports team in Thunder Bay? There has to be. There has to be a junior hockey team. Yeah. Every Canadian city has a junior hockey team. That's true. Thunder Bay Thundercats or what? What do you think? That's a good... Well, Ooh. would you use Thunder twice? I, if you got the word Thunder in your name, you better use it twice. That's what that's what you, I always say. What if you were the Thunder Bay Lightning? Mm, I don't like that. Well, you're playing off Tampa Bay Lightning. Right. Right? And yeah, you maybe that Thunder. Mm, that works pretty I good. I can see that. I, 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 if you're from Thunder Bay... You let us know if your kids played minor hockey for the Thunder I Bay Lightning. I haven't seen Thunder Bay pop up in our, where we get like listens from in cities. I haven't seen Thunder Bay in the top uh, 100. It's because we haven't mentioned them with our Zephyr Epic reads, but nah. now we just have. So now it'll big skyrocket. Episode. Big, big, episode, big in Thunder Bay. Hashtag we will be after this week. Bay. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So we were at Canucks practice at uh, Burnaby Eight Rinks, not Scotia Barn. Faber was in Abbotsford. We're actually we're going to get to what Harmon and I saw at the Canucks practice. It's going to be a pretty jam-packed episode. But Chris... You have something to report about Danila Klimovich that you got when you were in Abbotsford today. Boots on the ground. Well, yeah, you guys weren't the only one at a Canucks practice. I was also at a Canucks practice. Abbotsford been spending a lot of time out there. And, um, uh, well, Rick Dollywell is the one who first reported it, that Danila Klimovich is looking for a spot to stay now in Abbotsford. They told him to find a place. And sounds like he's going to end up staying the whole season in the AHL, which is good. He's, he's earned his way there. And, you know, Harm, you got to go out and see him the other week there. All that extra space in the AHL, that's really going to benefit a guy like Danila Klimovich as he's developing. And he's up and down the lineup. I mean, guys are moving around. He's not really with the same line. And that's something I talked about with Trent Cole today was like, you know, Nick Patan gets called up. It shakes up the whole lines. It makes it difficult. But Daniil Klimovich has done more than earn a spot to be able to stay in the AHL, I think. For sure. And 
you know, I just perfect timing. I had uh, a big Danila Klimovich feature go up today where I talked to his agent, Dan Milstein and talked to Ryan Johnson. And uh, the interview was two or three days, two or three days ago that I did with Johnson. And at the time they were saying, yeah, we're still taking it day by day. But I think you could clearly tell just by reading between the lines that they were impressed mm-hmm. with the strides that he was making. And the biggest takeaway I had from that conversation with Johnson was in terms of their decision making of whether to keep Klimovich here long term or send him down to junior. I think what they were looking to see wasn't just is he ready to play in the AHL. It was a more holistic lens of let's look at this player's long term trajectory. How much do you do we feel we can improve his game here in Abbotsford? And that's where I think he spent a lot of time with Trent Call figuring out the language barrier and how coachable is he? Is this the right environment for him to learn? And that's where Johnson referenced on on Friday's home opener that assist that uh, Klimovich had. And the reason he brought it up was he was saying, you know, that's the sort of play where he picked up speed through the neutral zone. It was like a one-on-four rush. And he's like, normally in that situation, he would have, like Klimovich would have taken those guys on, tried to dangle and maybe turn the yeah. puck over. But late in the third period, down a goal, he did a chip and chase, recovered the puck, made a nifty play below the goal line and set up and set up uh, John Stevens' tying goal. And it wasn't even just the result. It was more just like the maturity to show in that situation that he he has speed and like he looks like he's got a... Uh, looks looks like he's dazzling up the ice, but more maturity and like knowing that hey, odds of this panning out aren't very high, so I should just use my uh, size and strength. So I think that was the kind of play where it clicked for Johnson, and he explicitly mentioned that that hey, that's a sign of wow, he's learning and actually improving and soaking in what we're teaching him. So I think those little moments were were crucial for that. So the question I want to ask both of you, because we've had this conversation before, is where is the best place for Daniel Klimovich to develop? And before, I think, you know, we were all saying the QMJHL, there's a lot of value in that, um, rather than him being like a tweener in the AHL. But based on how he's performed, that answer has pretty clearly changed the AHL, has it not? No, absolutely. I mean, the fact that he's getting a chance to play in the power play unit, not really first power play all the time, but he does hop up there. Like if, if the power play is struggling a little bit, and this is something that they worked on a lot this week in Abbotsford. I was out at a couple practices this week and that was a major thing they wanted to key in. Harm, you remember that game, how many penalties and power plays uh, the Canucks, Abbotsford Canucks had out there. That's something they wanted to work on a lot. Klimich was moving around. They like him on his one-timer side, but they've also been using him on the first unit on the right side. So he's going down on his uh, on his forehand side. And, and that's another good spot for him too because that's where he really walks in and gets his wrist shot off, which is obviously his best part of his game is the just the power behind his shot. Like you can see it stick out so much in practice compared to, you know, I was like not to throw a guy under the bus here, but like uh, Canuck Leaper today was taking shots from the point and like, you know, they're floating in like a like a shot in war zone from like a kilometer away. Like they were bending down before they got to the net. Like, and then you see Klimovich fire his shot and it's just, it's a strong shot off the stick that's going up there. That's the thing that's going to get him to the NHL eventually here is that shot. But if he can develop other things in the NHL and, and like we said, it, it was going to depend on him actually playing games, which he is. He's playing games. He's in a middle six role. He's the kind of guy that could get moved up when they need offense. But that's something that Trent Cole never really does. He doesn't shake up his lines like a lot during games. And we've seen Travis Green do kind of the opposite and maybe not been the greatest thing so far early in this year. But we'll get to that eventually. But that's the thing where Klimovich is at least he's getting minutes in the NHL. I think when we all talked about the start of the year, we weren't certain if Klimovich was going to be getting consistent minutes, but he is. And that's what makes the NHL the best spot for him right now. And it's not just the fact that he's looked a lot more comfortable than 
maybe some of us expected for me anyway, but also just the, if you look at Vancouver's organizational depth on the wings, they're... Abbotsford isn't quite as stacked up front as I thought it would be, right? Like you lost McEwen to waivers, you lost Gadjevich to waivers. So those are a couple of really high-end first-line caliber HL forwards that are gone. And the team has been struck with some depth injuries, right? Like Highmore's just on IR. Uh, Dowling's been banged up. Dickinson's been banged up. So that's given an opportunity to guys like Justin Bailey to come up to the big team and now Nick Patan as well. So that's kind of created more opportunity in the middle six for Klimovich to get those even strength minutes, to get those power play reps. And just, again, consistent opportunity if a guy is ready for the moment. That's, you know, the biggest factor. And the other thing, too, is, like, the other part about a young player playing in the AHL is, you know, a lot of times you wonder about them getting enough puck touches, the engagement level, are they going to be able to keep up? And that's just where the biggest thing that stood out for me, and I don't know if I've mentioned mentioned it on the pod yet or not, uh, is just how, like, the confidence and swagger he has uh, where, you know, sometimes it gets him into trouble and he's turning pucks over, but... He, when he when he gets the puck, he like wants to do something for his team. He wants to make a statement, and that to me is a special trait. Johnson mentioned that as well. It's kind of like he has ice in his veins, and that's just a trait to me that shows that hey, this this is a guy who's not shy of the big stage here. He's he's ready and, and able to make an impact. Well, it's, it's just no nerves, right? Like there aren't any nerves with this kid. He's willing to try and go through his legs, go around his back with a stick, do all these crazy things. But that. That part's like, you know, maybe a little fancy, but you mentioned like the way that he set up that goal last yeah. weekend was was great. It speaks and to his mindset. Exactly. And he's going to get, an, I think he's going to get, there's a good chance he's top six uh, this weekend. They got games on Friday and Saturday. Nick Patan gets called up. Carson Folk gets moved from the wing back to center for the top six. Klinovich could be the guy because Folk and Klinovich spend a lot of time together on the ice. They're they're chatting with each other a lot on the ice. Uh, even the way that they wrap up pregame, it's Klinovich and Folk sending each other one-timers to, to kind of wrap up the warm-up. So those two are spending a lot of time together. Wouldn't surprise me to see Klinovich get a top six go uh, for Friday and Saturday's game this weekend. Okay. Anything to add on Abbotsford before we move it to the Canucks oh, practice? Man. I got a funny story. Okay. So you, this Jared Lucas Savages, yeah, yeah. Harm knows he was, he's an excellent quote. I don't know if I've talked, I think we've talked oh, about yeah. it on the pod that yeah. he, he is like becoming quickly our favorite quote. He's hilarious. Like he's a giggly dude. I, I chatted with him on Thursday. So, little spoiler alert for everyone. I'm going to be end up writing for uh, the Abbotsford Canucks website here pretty soon. And I'm writing a story right now about fishing. And because there's a lot of guys on the team that like fishing. Vinny Arsenal is a big example. Uh, Chase Waters, Jet Wu, uh, Will Lockwood, massive. These guys are huge fans of fishing in the offseason. So I asked Lucas Savages about his fit. Like, I was like, do you have a fishing story? He grew up in Swamish. He seemed like a guy who would like fishing. Uh, was that something you did grow up? He's like, no, I was just playing. Like I was just trying to stay inside as much as play as much video games as possible. He's like, but my stepdad would always try and get me out for fishing. And he's like, actually, I do have one story. So he's like, one time we were, we we're on the boat, me, my stepdad and my mom, and we're, we're flying out. We're going out in the inlet. We're riding. It's heavy waters in the ocean. They're bouncing around and his, they have this fluffy little Pomeranian dog. And he's like, it's a really fluffy dog. And his mom was trying to feed it a piece of sausage, he said, as they were going. Like, they brought some snacks to the dog. And apparently his mom's, like, shoving the sausage into the dog's mouth. And he thinks that, like, the dog's not eating it. And she's like, what the heck? And then Jared says he just starts laughing his ass off. And he looks over. He's like, Mom, you're shoving the sausage in the dog's ass. <laughs> like, he told this story. that like, not in there. But he was, like, trying to feed the sausage. Her mom was feeding the sausage to the wrong end of the dog. <laughs> 
What? How on That's earth the can story. that even happen? Well, it's like this fluffy dog, right? So, like, maybe the head and the oh. tail look similar. And he's like, she's like trying to, like, the dog wouldn't take the, wouldn't bite the sausage. And then, then we, like, he finishes the story and he's like, you know, that's not really a fishing story now that I think about it. And I'm like, I'm like, no, not at all. I'm like, oh but it's hilarious. Gosh. I'm so glad you told that. Wow. He is. He's he's so much fun to deal with. He's just so ha- like I asked him again about like what it's like to work with the Sedins. And I'm just like, like, what is it like having them around a lot? Because that's something else I'll be working on talking to Sedins pretty soon here. Um, just like the Sedins are out there. It's like, what is it like to like grow up in BC, be a Canucks fan? And now the Sedins are like teaching you. And like, you can just see his eyes just like light up. He's like. He's like, I don't even, he's like, it's amazing. Like he's just, he, he, especially as a guy who was local kid to have the Sedins out there in Abbotsford, like these guys are meaning a lot to that AHL team right now. They're out there a ton. I think that's where they're spending. I don't know how much time they're spending around Vancouver, but they are spending a ton of time out in Abbotsford. They're spending time everywhere. They're, they're all over the place. It's yeah. like there's two of them. Yeah, exactly. But they're always together. It's like exactly. there's four of them. Exactly. Yeah. There yeah. you go. It's like, weird. Speaking fair. of this, uh, Sedins, I tweeted this out, but. On the, and during the home opener, I ran into uh, Daniel Sedin um, in the in the washroom. So of course the universe made it so that um, in the second second home game, I, I ended up running into Henrik in the bathroom. <laughs> like how what a yeah. coincidence! <laughs> well, at least he didn't like talk to him. It was like nice to see you here again in the bathroom. Or something. <laughs> I, I, I can one. tell them apart like easily. Yeah, now. no, I think same. Being around them enough, you can tell. Them yeah, apart. well, I'm it's ex- the head shape. I'm yeah, excited. Exactly. I'm gonna get like a, a nice little, maybe potentially two on one with them pretty soon here. Oh, they're in Abbotsford. That's gonna be huge because I, I I'm really curious to see what they are doing because every time I ask a player about it, they're just so jacked up that the Sedins are out there. But I'm really curious, like what the Sedins mentality is with dealing with these guys in the AHL. Cause it's something we talked about. It's like, you know, they're going to be out in the AHL. What, what do they have to offer to guys in the AHL where it's like, that's not a spot they were ever in, but obviously developing and just hockey players in general, they have so much knowledge. So I'm really curious to see like what they are doing day to day with the guys out in the AHL. Yeah, absolutely. We'll touch on the scenes a little later. Cause I do want to, you know, even if it's, even if it's for a brief time, I want to acknowledge and talk about Kyle beach a little bit. I think sure. it's important that we do that. We'll do that after the break. Uh, and we'll definitely talk about final the thing from Abbotsford. I talked to Vinny Arsenault today because, like I said, I'm writing this fishing story. We talked about lobsters for 15 minutes. I learned about lobsters for 15 minutes. And know what he says? He's like, because I'm like, oh, my girlfriend's from New Brunswick. Like, we're going to go get lobsters out there. He's like, Ugh. he's like, he's like, New Brunswick lobsters are all crap. They're all in the sand eating garbage. He's like, he's like, our, he's like, our lobsters that we got in our, because he's from like a small island uh, off of Quebec. He's like, oh, the, he's like, the lobsters we get, they're not the crap lobsters that are eating garbage like they are in New Brunswick. So he's throwing a little shade towards wow. the New Brunswick lobsters. He was telling me about some of the biggest lobsters because he's not only a lobster fisherman, he's like a free diver. He does scuba diving and free diving and he goes down and like grabs lobsters with his bare hands. I Today was the first time I talked to him in person. Vinny Arsenault's hands look like a lunchbox, like <laughs> like his fingers. Like, I think I have pretty fat, big fingers and big hands. His fingers are thick. Like, no wonder the dude scraps all the time. Like, he is, uh, it, it was fun. He was a lot of fun to talk to. He talked for like, like two minutes about hockey and then like 13 minutes about lobsters. <laughs> it was, it was, it was a great chat today. Speaking of, uh, large hands, Vasily Podkolzin was signing stuff for, uh, the kids. I think they were, they went to Burnaby Central School. Shout out to Burnaby Central. Oh, wow. Um, they came on their lunch break. There yeah, let's get to spectators. the NHL. I, yeah. I'm, I'm all we'll amped down, up on NHL. Down here. Highway 1 to where Harmon and I were at Burnaby 8 Rinks. Harmon and I sitting in the Thirsty Penguin. Oh. I, I guess you don't know about the Thirsty Penguin, nope. but maybe you don't even know about the Thirsty Penguin. But basically, it was this restaurant inside Eight Rinks, and it was the coolest place. 
because you know with eight rinks you, you were there the yeah. viewing area there's like a viewing area of all the rinks and you can kind of walk down the whole viewing area and it goes across all the rinks so we were all sitting in there the thirsty penguin man i used to get nachos there all the time when i was watching my brother play oh the memories in the thirsty penguin at eight rinks second to none second to none but yeah vasily park holes in signing autographs for the kids today coming off the ice uh, it was very cool to see uh, the fans kind of able to interact with the players a bit because that's not something they've really been able to do up to this point. It's been a really long time, if you think about it, just with uh, you know COVID and everything going on. Uh, yeah, it was it was it was it was kind of surreal to see the players like interacting with fans again. But uh, yeah, Abbots or not Abbotsford, Vancouver Canucks practice. It was the big story was the power play, the new look power play. I'll just read it out here. I've got it written down in front of me, but. Power play one, Quinn Hughes at the point, Elias Pettersson, Connor Garland, and Brock Besser with Besser and Pettersson on their off wings. Pearson in the net front. So Garland's kind of in that slot position. And on the second unit, OEL, Miller, Horvat, Rathbone, and Chase on in the net front. So again, Miller is on his offside. Rathbone's coming downhill on this look. Horvat's in the middle. Chase on is the net front. Again, OEL at the point on that second unit. I guess... Chris, like you didn't get to see it in action, but just when you hear these names and this personnel, obviously you've watched all these players play. Like, obviously, I'm not even going to ask you if you like them changing up their power play because I think it was it's needed at yeah. this point. Like, I think we can all agree that it had something had to change. But what do you think of this personnel? Well, I think Neil Suglander should be on one of the two power play units. I just think that his effort level and ability to get loose pucks and go into corners and come out with possession is massive for a power play unit. I like the idea of them moving things around, but it's not... I like Garland going to the first unit. I think that's a good move. I I find it kind of strange with the second unit that Rathbone would be on his forehand side. Because I feel like the the way that the Horvat bumper position play works so well is when JT Miller is on his forehand going down to the left and making that pass. So, a little questionable to me. They they just seem to love chase on on the power play travis green seems to love having chase on on the power play i i like when the second unit just goes out there and they're frantic to just get the puck towards the net and that's something where nils huglander makes a lot of sense because he can fit in nicely with a second unit where it's like damn we got 40 seconds let's just get in there and, and start firing pucks on net get decent shots i like the personnel that you can have on both units but i do i do prefer huglander over chase on on the second unit for like i'd Chason's numbers and Harm really brought this up a few weeks ago, and you know I've noticed it now every single game that I look at. You know, natural statric after Chason's possession numbers are horrible. Like his expected goals are horrible. He, at five on five, he really isn't a guy who should be anywhere near your top nine. If anything, you can slide him into your fourth line. But man, the guy does not bring a lot at five on five at all. So they must he must start like if for him to be in the lineup, he's got to be excellent on the power play, and I just don't think he's there for that. So. I, I think that having a second unit that is only going to get 40 seconds a, a time, like a go pretty much. I don't think they're going to get a lot of ice. Maybe though, like they do have all the face off guys though. Right. So maybe they're actually going to end up like, it's going to be, there's this, is, we needed a mix up and I'm happy we finally got it. I just, to see Huglander go out is, is a little strange to me. That's, that's something I don't really like about the two units. Harmon, what do you think of Tanner Pearson on the, fr- uh, at the net front on that first unit? What do you, uh, what do you think of that? I think he's a fine net front guy. He's not necessarily my favorite, but then I also kind of understand where I think they're trying to find a little bit of balance. So while it's like, yeah, you could slot JT Miller into the net front on PP one and he'd probably be better in that spot. Miller has more value as a playmaker and one of your primary weapons on say the second unit. So 
I think um, I think that's more an element of trying to balance things out. And when I look at the first unit as a whole, it's interesting that they have Pedersen and Besser on their one-timer sides now. And I do think it's interesting where with those two guys on their flanks now, you do have opportunities to experiment, right? Because now Pedersen has another look or another option to him. And I wonder if he's going to manage the puck a little bit more and be more of a dynamic threat because the one-timer, because Garland's a right shot, is now from Pedersen's side, right? Like Pedersen's going to be the one feeding Garland one-timers if they want to go to that look. Uh, and also Pearson being a left shot guy, like that's where the tic-tac-toe is there where, where I think I wonder if the play is going to shift more towards that right side and we're going to see Pedersen making more, at least more involved with the puck, especially because I don't see Besser as your primary, you know, play, play driver or initiator quarterback, whatever you want to call it from the, from the flank. So uh, I think that's going to be interesting, interesting to see as for the second unit. I just, I've got to be honest, guys, maybe it'll work, but I am usually never a fan of three forwards, two defensemen on a power play. I I always believe that you should only have one defenseman. I rarely ever see it work, uh, at least consistently over a large sample. And I mean, the research on average is pretty clear that units with 2D produce less than units with 1D. So um, I, I don't really know exactly what to make of the second unit yet. Um, it's, yeah. I'm going to have to kind of see it in, in game action because it's an interesting mix, especially going to have to see which side Rathbone and Miller end up on their flanks. I'm interested and I, I'm intrigued by this, having the two defensemen on, because one of those defensemen is Jack Rathbone who has that offensive skill set, And I'm really interested to see what he's able to do coming downhill. Cause again, like, you know, if OEL were to, um, were to rotate a bit and Rathbone's coming down from the point, that fake slapper again, like if he's coming downhill on that, like that's exactly where you want Rathbone is on that left side, right? With, with that, that being like his signature move or whatever, that's kind of the place for him to be. I think if I was going to change the second unit at all, I would put Hoaglander in chase on spot and maybe you want to switch him and Horvat, whatever. Um, but chase on's off that unit. If, if it's up to me and Hoaglander's there, but if they, if they're dead set on keeping chase on, I agree with you. I think it, you, you have to go to the forward. Like, you have to have Hoaglander in that spot instead of Rathbone. Um, again, Hoaglander would be coming downhill, which I, I don't hate the idea of. But, but but just put Miller there, then. That's what Miller is at his best, I and think. Then, and then you have Hoaglander on the other side for the one-timer? Sure, but it's not even. it doesn't really have to rely on his one-timer. The second unit's just going to be going at getting pucks towards net and getting the bumper mm-hmm. shots off from Horvat. I, you don't need, like, it doesn't revolve around Hoaglander's slap shot yeah. at all. It revolved around, like, he can start setting up plays. He can make the passes. I just, to me, like, I look at it on the second unit when you guys are talking about Rathbone here. Like, to me, Rathbone has the piece where he's good enough on a power play that he deserves to be in the lineup. Chason's the opposite. Like, Chason just isn't, he's not, he shouldn't be on the power play. He's not good enough to be on a power play. Like, yeah, he scored the other day, like, you know, minutes after I sent out a tweet saying, get him off the damn unit. But, that was a hundred. That was like ninety-five percent Pedersen's play. He literally just passed it off to sticking in. A lot of people do that. That's what I'm going to be interested to see. Tanner Pearson, like Harm, kind of touched on it there, making that tic-tac-toe play. If Pearson's able to get good positioning, his stick on the left side of the net there. If Pedersen can find that stick, they're going to get some goals out of that too. I, I think Pearson's a better option than Chase on as a net front presence. To be honest, for sure. In terms of power play one, yeah, he's just I don't not know. right-handed. That's the only thing that that yeah. seems to be the problem. Right? I will say though that Chase on, I don't, I don't hate him. You know, on power play two, I hate like if he's in your, if he's already in your lineup, I'd 
I don't hate the idea. That, that, that's what he's done his whole career, right? Like that's yeah, he doesn't move, and I definitely don't want him anywhere near power play one. But on the second unit as a net front guy, like that's that's his bread and butter. I mean, he's an above average net front guy for a second power play unit around the league. Um, whether or not that ju- that's enough to justify him being in the lineup, yeah, I'm w- willing to bend on that conversation for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because just with with the three forwards 2D, like for so many years we saw Nashville, right? With with they had an elite blue line back when PK Subban was in his prime and Roman Yossi, and they would have those like two Norris Trophy caliber offensive defensemen who rack up all these points. The power play just wouldn't work, and you know so that's why I'm I'm kind of biased towards forwards, and I and and I would have liked to see someone like a Nils Hoglander. Hoaglander in there for Jack Rathbone, but we'll see. Maybe maybe you can catch lightning in a bottle. A different look maybe adds to unpredictability, but um, no, so lots of changes. With second unit, you're more you would be more in the camp of taking Rathbone off than Chase on for Hoaglander if you were to make a yes, change. Yeah. So you just like you're real deep on this four forwards one yeah. defense because I I'm a purist. <laughs> you, I, I, I'm I'm kind of with favor on this one. I think I think I'd rather see Rathbone. I just think because second. of the the offensive. The dynamic offensive ability from Rathbone to Chase on is so different, though. You know, you're but not as an effort guy. You don't need a dynamic. Yeah, I just to me on a second unit, you kind of do. Like to me on a second unit, I don't know if you need a net front present guy to just be there the whole time when you can just throw pucks to. Like I get it, you're going to throw pucks towards that. Have but a who's going to clean them up? I, I think there's a lot of different options that could do that. I like Horvat in the bumper there. I think JT Miller could go around the net as well. He's going to be on the flank, though. Huglander as well, if he's around the net for those. I don't want him as a net front presence because he wouldn't cover much goalie eyes. But you know, like there's to me, I think that you want to have Rathbone on the power play. I, I don't I don't hate the idea of the two defensemen there. Like I think Rathbone could bring a lot offensively, and I think OEL does a lot different offensively from the points. So I think it gives you a real good option from the points. I mean, they can try it. I'm not going to write it off until I see it. But generally, I just, again, like, it's, on average, it, it, it almost always is the case that three forwards 2D produce less. And mm. again, like, I, as a net front guy, I have no issues with Chase on there. I mean, look at the second unit back in 2019-20 when, uh, when it was really clicking Pearson was a big part of that, and Pearson was just the net front guy cleaning up garbage. And Pearson wasn't a dynamic player. He just stood around the front of the net and was able to finish off basic plays. And that's what Chason's fine for. I mean, he's he's already picked up a couple power play goals, right? Like, I I definitely don't like Chason at 5-on-5. Five five. And again, if you want to talk about does he deserve a lineup spot, that's where I'm, I'm, I'm willing to go, okay, like maybe he doesn't. But if he's in your lineup, like... I, I don't hate him at all on as a net front power play two guy. Right. I just to me it's strange that Huglander isn't getting a power play spot anywhere. I think to me and the guy who sticks out to me is Chase on. And and maybe you know, does every power is it play just need, he's boring though? Somewhat because he's boring and second of all because Huglander was such a uh, an elite scorer at Huglander, five five I agree. Last he year. needs to be on the second unit for sure. That much I agree with. But. Yeah. And you want Rathbone out there. I just think it's a better stylistic fit, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's sexier to say have Jack Rathbone and he's got this dynamic skill set. But yeah, I just don't know if it's going to work from the flank. I The reason I would say that the two defensemen might be good for the second unit is not having it look exactly like an umbrella, like every other power play that's out there in the world. Like 
having two point men might actually benefit because I think OEL can get wrist shots off if he's going to be on like your. But I know that. But then again, Rathbone's, towards, Rathbone's on the left side, right? That's remember what you guys towards were the tail end of last season when they did try Rathbone as I think it was the second defenseman on the unit yes, on the flank. Myers. It was still a regular one through one. They just had him on his one on his one timer side where like a Pedersen would be. Yeah, yeah he, you're, things you're were falling right. apart last year though to get to that point. He's though. coming. He's coming downhill. He's on the left side. See that that's the part that I don't like. You were saying, you know, Jack Rathbone's bread and butter is that little step over move at the point to go to your left. But Jack Rathbone also has a really good one timer too. So, but he also has a really good slap shot. The guys are gonna have to respect now. Yeah, I think it, Miller's got a bomb of a one timer too. That's exactly. true too. So it'll be interesting to see how they mix up that second unit. Honestly, in the end. Like even though there's a lot of things I'm not super jacked up about, I am jacked up that they made some moves. Yes, something had to change. They were getting good. a couple goals here and there, but goddamn, like they couldn't gain the zone in a lot of spots, and that's something that I liked about the second unit. And maybe something I liked so much about Huglander was gaining possession and bringing possession into the offensive zone. Like he was one of the best I thought on the second power play unit doing. And I saw the other day, uh, just the last game on was it Thursday there. Huglander, when he had a little line shift there, and it was half the first unit, half the second unit. Huglander's one who gains his own, sets up, makes a good pass to get everyone set up. Those are just the things that I think Huglander does so well, and I don't like that he's not on a power play. Because I think he helps the biggest problem for the Vancouver Canucks is getting set up, just getting into the zone. I think Huglander's one of the best at doing that. On you know, If you're going to put a 10-man unit together, Huglander would be one that I think would be the best at gaining offensive possessions. Yeah, absolutely. And the last thing I wanted to say about the power play, and we will cut to break shortly, but man, watching Philadelphia's power play go to work, oh, the different looks that those guys had, unbelievable. The set plays and everything, like that was worth the price of admission right there. I was say like I so I was at the game, I was down there, like that was the side that I was sitting in, and I was telling my girlfriend, I was like, you know when I'm always like yelling about the Canucks power play, like how they don't move? I was like, look at look at how much these guys are moving. Like the bumper guy is moving with the guy on the wall, half wall and they're switching and moving all all of them are moving around positions. Claude Giroux's looking for bounce passes off the back of the boards in front of the net. Like, uh, yeah, there was there was so much movement that you could just see what a power play can be like. And when you have so much skill like the Canucks have on their power play, it's just so unfortunate to see them standing in certain spots. That's why a, a huge power play shakeup needed to happen for personnel. But I hope it's not just personnel. I hope it's the way that they are attacking the net and trying to get trying to create scoring chances. Yeah, I hope it's not just a personnel and then a sideways move and saying, okay, this is how we do things, do it this way. Right, because if they're if they're just going to stick with what the first power play unit's been doing, they just made it worse. They have worse personnel now on the yeah, first exactly. power play unit if they're going to be doing the same thing. <laughs> but now they're just going to do the same thing with worse guys. That's not the way to do it. You need to like really change a lot of the philosophy behind that first power play unit and how they're going to attack. What has you've got two one timer options. I think you've got Pedersen handling the puck more changing. There's enough change there. I do agree. I like, I wonder to me the way that I look at it, like looking at it from a real stupid guy view, which I'm really good at. You're putting a lot of pressure, not really pressure, but you're putting a lot more on Pedersen's plate. And I like that. I like that for him on the power play. And Harm, I know something that you've brought up and you like guys going on their downhill side with, for this reason as as well, if Besser was on his right side, he would have a better angle for passing to Garland. Are you worried so much about Pedersen and that angle that you talk about a lot with guys going on their downhill side, because you've talked about this in the past. He's not going to have as easy of a pass to Garland as a righty would in that position. Yeah, it's, it's a good point. And honestly, like one of the biggest things I, I think is just for that power play as a whole, have to get Pedersen involved in some sort of greater capacity because, you know, the first unit had 
had become too predictable with Horvat in the bumper, right? Like we used to talk about Pedersen, Pedersen on his one-timer side. Like that's too predictable. They know the one-timer is coming. So the Canucks adapted. They got Horvat in the bumper. Now, you know, they kind of caught on to that. And now it's like, okay, as a third counter, what are the Canucks going to do now? And so from my mindset, it was, okay, they need to just find a way to get Pedersen more involved. And I don't, I, I, I I'm, I'm going to be really intrigued to see how he responds to having that extra level of responsibility because it is like, I mean, I'm assuming that this look is one where he's going to handle the puck a bit more unless they want Besser to do it, which he isn't a natural playmaker, even though I don't mind his passing ability. Um, But that's kind of what I like about the unit as well is like if things aren't going right and we talk about movement, like Besser and Pedersen could just switch flanks and all of a sudden they're on their downhill and they can switch back and it's and it's and it's sort of seamless where you can make that make those kinds of uh, transitions and kind of in zone um, changes depending on how your power play is looking. And I'm sure you guys probably saw this at practice, but putting Pedersen, Garland and Pearson as kind of that triangle down low on the right side there does open up the door for Pedersen to go down low to Pearson, Pearson quick up to Garland, bang, bang. That's got to be the quick little thing. Did you see that at practice? Like, cause that's where I would think that one of the big getting the bumper position involved, we've seen it so much with guys passing it up top to Horvat in the bumper. I think that with Garland, you kind of need to attack it from the right side. So I don't know if you guys saw that today, but it's something that they definitely have to go with. Harmon and I are both looking at each other, wondering if either of us saw it. You guys are too busy looking at freaking nachos and, and Pepsi Colas <laughs> in there or whatever the hell you guys are doing. Thirsty Penguin, here. man. It matters. No, yeah. honestly, yeah, couldn't tell you. We're, we were watching for that specifically, Chris. I'm out in Abbotsford getting better scoops than you guys we were, are. We were scrambling, figuring, trying to figure out what the second unit is looking like and what they're... Because they're, they're on the, the far side. end of the ice. Yeah. Mm. Or like, what is going on? Is Hoglander on the unit? What is he doing with Pod Colson? Oh, they're just passing the puck between each other. Like, I got to say, Pooh, before we get to break, Ontario Rain came, are playing in Abbotsford. The skill that they have on that AHL team, the young skill, whoa. If you get a chance, go to Abbotsford, watch some of these kids play. There's a lot of real talented kids on that Ontario team. Yeah, absolutely. LA Kings farm team. If I'm not Ontario, California. Ontario, California, which is a real place, uh, allegedly. Wait, so, what? Yeah. I mean, just realized you, this. Yeah, you were oh doing this gosh. too? Me, this is me two weeks ago when he told me. I didn't believe it. I him. just assumed Ontario no, it's not, it's not from... in Ontario. It's not in, it's in Ontario, hell? California. City yeah. of Ontario. <laughs> yeah, I had no clue. Just such a mind, like, <laughs> yeah. Well, I I didn't believe it until I realized they play one in the Pacific Division, yeah, which used true. to be just the California Division or whatever. So, right, wow. got a break here. This is ridiculous. <laughs> All right, we will cut to break. You guys on supposed the other to be side. so young and smart. You can't even. Never mind. Whatever. Figure it out. Sit down. You're just wiser man. than us. Yeah, Sit down, old so. man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we will cut to break on the other side. We will talk about a lot of different stuff. I'm not. I don't have a show plan in front of me. So. I have some things I want to talk about. It's Halloween weekend. We haven't touched on any of that yet. Oh yeah. Okay. We'll touch on Halloween costumes and all that. Poll question. Stuff. Yeah. Poll question. We'll talk about Kyle Beach as well. That's yes. the thing we all want to get to. Uh, so we'll do that on the other side of the break. Keep it locked. Keep it loaded on Canucks conversation. Muddlers. Muddlers. Pink lemonade. We are so excited to tell you guys about Muddler's Pink Lemonade. My drink of choice. You guys have all seen it by now. Faber and I went out drinking. That was my uh, drink of choice first night. 
I think that the catchphrase for this ad has to be, it's the only alcohol that Quads likes. Absolutely. It's so good. It's absolutely the best pink lemonade on the market by far. A lot of these other drinks are just a little too sweet for me. Like, I I don't really like that. And this is like a nice mix because I also don't like when it tastes too much like alcohol. But this is like the, the perfect balance. There's a reason that it was the drink I got when we went to the Parallel Street Kitchen as well. It, absolutely, man. It is the sweet spot for quads in the alcoholic beverage realm. You can find it, like you said, at Parallel 49 Street Kitchen and in a ton of liquor stores. All the BC liquor stores have it. It's the bright pink cans, Muddler's Pink Lemonade. Go out and try it today. Alert, alert. Parallel 49 is bringing back one of its favorite beers of the winter. The Salty Scott is back, folks. The Scotch Ale we all know and love is now available across British Columbia in their government and private liquor stores. Enjoy a strong caramel flavor, a salty bite, and a generous 7.5% alcohol. It only takes one of these tall boys to get the night going. So go out and try a Parallel 49 Salty Scott today. All right, and a massive thank you to all of our sponsors here at the Canucks Conversation Podcast. We will get to our poll question shortly. Chris, you said you want to talk about Halloween. I'm I'm going to get the conversation started here. Favorite Halloween candy. When you were a child and you went trick-or-treating, I hope none of you go trick-or-treating anymore. I, I like, absolutely used to hate that when I was still living at at home. And, like, you'd see, like, 20-year-olds or, like, you know, they're, like, you could tell they were either in grade 12 or just graduated. And they're, like, trick-or-treat. It's, like, no. Get yeah. Get going. Go go buy yourself some candy. Like you can you can go buy. Go on freaking party, man! It's freaking Halloween. Yeah. No. Exactly. Likewise. That was that was a big uh, that was a big uh, knew that I was in high school moment. I remember like Halloween's pretty early in the school year. I remember grade eight going to my first party on Halloween. I, that was when I did my first party too. Yeah. Mm. I bet we drank a lot different that day. Absolutely. I think I probably drank a lot of Pepsi. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have a lot of Pepsi that day. <laughs> I had a lot of Smirnoff Green Apple in grade eight. Yeah. Wow, you Nanaimo? Like, nobody wow, here drinks no, in no. grade 8. Well, I mean, I, I don't want to say nobody, but like, yeah, I certainly didn't. Yeah, there's some, yeah. That was a good party out in the lake. One of the richer people from our school, big old mansion. What was your first, like, party when you were, when you were drinking? That, were that you, probably like, was. Oh, okay. I was okay, going to say, you started in elementary school, well, like grade 7. This guy was, like, 6 foot 4 when he was 12, so he goes in, doesn't get ID'd at the liquor store. Yeah, well, no, I mean, the first, <laughs> first like, alcohol party was, yeah, it was grade 8 uh, Halloween. Wow. Wow. That was a good... That's insane. That's like so much earlier than than me. I left my backpack at a gas station. I remember I woke up the next morning. Didn't know where it was. (laughs) It was like my school backpack. 13. This is insane to me. Yeah. I don't... Like when I was 13... I don't even remember what I was doing, but it was not as exciting as that. That's Well, yeah. I mean, Nanaimo is a different place, man. No kidding. My goodness. All right. Well, I was going to ask your favorite candy. Oh yeah, because yeah, you were talking. You're still trick or treating at 18. You were just talking about no, no. There. I was saying I hate that people did that. I, I did. You know, I think the last time I went trick or treating, I, I had my little cousin with me. Okay, mm-hmm. I was 16. All right. Yeah, but uh, your favorite candy when you were a kid? Favorite candy to get dropped into your bag? Oh god, am I going to offend people again? Well, as long as you see. don't say anything. As long as you're like, oh, it's air. No. Are you kidding? <laughs> I was literally about to say that. Really? You're joking. It's not anymore. Like, okay. Wait, Arrow? You guys are saying Arrow's bad? Arrow. I really liked it. Arrow's Arrow, good. Arrow. It's like a mediocre chocolate that's Arrow. bubbly. No, if you, if, you do, if you eat it right, what? if yeah. you eat an Arrow right, you, you put it on your tongue and you let serious. it melt and you yes. get all those bubbles of chocolate... Arrow's a, a quality. You know what though? My chocolate. taste has changed. Not be your favorite chocolate. No, not my as a favorite. kid it was. As a kid it was for sure. Okay. Now it's been or like 
around 15, 16, it became Kit Kat. It, likewise. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Real adults eat Kit Kats. Well, you know, the thing about Kit Kats is those Kid Pack ones, those little ones, those hit so perfect. Like yeah. those little oh. little mini ones, they're oh, better than man. regular Kit Kats. I yeah. hope you guys eat it pro- like bite into them properly, right? Yeah, like, Giancarlo well, you, Stanton. You don't bite then. If you're, no, you're you split them. Split, okay. split them. Yeah. Right, 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 okay. Giancarlo Stanton of the Yankees, he... he Bites the whole thing. It's oh, so weird. Yeah. So weird. You want to trigger people on Twitter? Just take take a bite out of a Kit Kat and Ugh. just tweet it. Put some ketchup on. Yeah. <laughs> no, no I, harm's good. Arrows are good. Arrows are if you okay. eat, you're okay. chewing arrows. That's no, probably your problem. Well, he's right because he said he said that was when he was younger, which is fine. I was I was more so saying if that's your favorite chocolate bar like now like oh I'm no, no, no. Your kid it's like but, very average now for exactly. me like it's above yeah. average I like it but like yeah, yeah. Like, it's 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 a fine chocolate like I'll tell you you get a white arrow white arrow chocolate yeah like oh. that's a good that's a good chocolate bar straight up like, I used to love the mint arrow mm. and then I had another time and you I was like what? this is disgusting you know the Hershey's um the white yeah oh the, the cookies and cream cookies those and cream. are up oh. there those are up those there, are up there. yeah those yeah. are those are top tier chocolate but the best chocolate of all time is coffee crisp oh, that's no the chance. best chocolate bar no yeah no no, no. it's As not even kid, the best of the up, pack it comes no in. I would literally that's just ridiculous. like pawn them off that's ridiculous. Okay, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not in that boat. I, I coffee crisp is the is the best the chocolate correct, bar on the market. The correct order of the Nestle pack is Kit Kat, or is it Nestle? I don't know what company. It is. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, Kit Kat at the top, coffee crisp second. Smarties and Arrow are pretty interchangeable for me because it depends mm. what kind of mood I'm in because they're different. They're very different uh, different chocolate bars. But uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and say Smarties are ahead of Arrows for me. I think Smarties are bottom of the tier for me. Oh. Um, no, it, for me it's it's Kit Kat, Smarties, Arrow, and then Coffee Crisp. Wow. Okay. See, I've never heard of anybody hating Coffee Crisp as much as I think you might. Like, I mean, like I don't hate list. it. It's just I don't like it as much as Man, I like the other. Do you drink no, coffee? No, I don't. Oh, uh, well, that's that probably might, part of that it. That might play. Part. Not really. The combination of like wafers and having some flavor in a chocolate wafers. What did I say? Wafers. Well, that's the problem. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about here. <laughs> coffee Crisp wafers. It got you got good texture. <laughs> You got good flavor, and you don't have too much. To me, I'm not a big chocolate guy. In the end, honestly, like, I, like, I haven't had one in a long time too. So, so yes, yeah, so your your takes absolute horse crap. Harm okay. quads. You're 15 years old. You don't know what you're talking about with chocolate. Coffee Crisp <laughs> is by far the best chocolate bar in Canada. They don't even have it in the states, so we should be happy That's that true. we have it here in That's Canada. True. I've heard our Kit Kats are better too. Yeah, I've heard. You got a lot of sources down in the states. Chocolate sources. Yeah. I I just know they they're like jealous of our our things and you know Smarties you know we have our Rockets that's their Smarties I will say there. the Harm brought it up the cookies and cream Hershey's those are those, those are in are the good. top tier too yeah especially and you know what like I when I moved out big adult things I, I got myself a Costco membership I went to uh, went to Costco for my first big shop one of the first things I bought I bought the huge thing of gum the twenty seven pack of packs of gum because. You know, I like my gum, mm-hmm. uh, but I also bought the chocolate bars, the the king size chocolate bars. The, I've had those since I moved in to my apartment in like June, I think it was. I still haven't gone through them because it's so much sugar, it's so much chocolate that I'm just like, man, I I like can't do this. You know what I do? I I put it in ice cream. That's what I do, and I like cut it in half or whatever, put the rest in the fridge. That's that's the way to do Diabetes it. Diabetes in one okay. bowl. Yeah. Well, yeah. if you do the whole thing, yes. But I, I split it up. It's healthy. Okay, that's better. Healthy decisions. Yeah. Keep it healthy. That's Very sure. healthy. What yeah. you got before? Okay, quickly wrap up Halloween. Your guys' best Halloween costumes you ever had. I'm going as The Rock this year. I don't, I think I've shown you. Think that's going to be your best? I, it might be my best. I. You know what? I went... Uh, 
Hmm. I went as Mario one year, which was a really solid costume. That was a lot of fun. Um, Harmon, do you have one off the top of your head? Because I'm going to think about my costumes. Like, I think my favorite was when I was Look really young. Cord. Look at Harm's got about 15. Somehow he's wrapped up 15 cords here on his mic all of a sudden. Look at the tangle. Holy cow. Sorry. Keep going. <laughs> um, for me, I definitely between like the age of like probably around 13. Basically, once high school hit, I stopped putting any effort into my costumes. <laughs> yeah. But before that, I'd probably say like probably around like kindergarten or like grade one i really liked my dinosaur costume yeah just like it was yeah it was it was like the the top of basically my face was in between where the kind of like head would be like one you know where my covering my hair basically would be like the top half of the dinosaur's like teeth and then uh, towards the chin custom like custom made or what is it custom scene? i don't know it was probably from like zellers or something yeah true that zellers okay. is a good one I should clarify just for everybody that heard me say I'm going as the rock this year. I'm going I'm just wearing the the clothes that he's wearing in that eighties picture. Yeah, you're not going as the wrestler rock in the black no. speedo, yeah. No, 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 I am not. Um and I'm not trying to fake any like tribal tattoo or anything. I'm okay. just uh well, what's just your what's your favorite costume? costume? Um okay. I, I have to give a shout out because uh you know that that uh camp that I volunteer at? Yeah. I was talking to the camp director on Saturday when I missed and I was volunteering there. Um I was talking to the camp director and he showed me the costume that his wife made for their like um, their four-year-old son. And it was a bumblebee costume from Transformers, but she made it completely and it looked so legit. And he he's like crouched into a ball on the floor and it looks like a car. Yeah. And then he just like stands up and it literally looked like the movie like transformation and it was so cool. I've seen that video hands of the kids down, doing it. I've seen that before. Hands down you the call coolest. it transformation. Yeah, what do you mean? No, from Transformers. I was saying oh, you go. see the transformation. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I know the movie. Like, <laughs> the movie's not called Transformation. <laughs> uh, but hands down, that is the coolest costume I've ever seen. A little bit jealous. But uh, yeah, my coolest costume, I don't know. Like every year my grandpa and I go as nudist on strike because my grandpa doesn't that's dress so, up. I'm sorry. Respect to your Nona. That's lame. Yeah. That's but the lamest costume we, I've ever We heard. do that since I've tur- like Harmon. When I turned like 16, 17, I stopped dressing up. This is okay. like my first time like dressing up Same. just because I'm going yeah. out to like a party and out with friends yeah. and I'm, I've been told to dress up. So um, yeah, now I'm going as the rock because I have my Alberta jeans and my, uh, my little turtleneck and my, my chain, my fanny pack. Yeah, I got a fanny pack. I'm pretty excited. Oh, you got one eventually. Yeah. I did. Okay, I got good. one from my mom. All right, I'll quickly. We got to get back to Canucks talk here. I don't know how long we've been doing this, but my minutes. top three. Number three was when I was Ricky from Trailer Park Boys. That was super easy That's to a do. Good one. Incredibly easy. I have the exact same shirt, Boston Sweatpants of Valley Village. Number two had when I was Santa. Uh, this is when I was like 21 <laughs> years old, probably. I, I colored my beard white with like baby powder and paint, and I was Santa. That was a really good one. But my number one costume, and I won the best costume at the school this, this year, it was, it was like grade one. And I won the best costume at school. I was Poliwhirl. So, like, you guys know the Pokemon Poliwhirl. Yeah, so, yeah. I had, we took a hula hoop, wrapped a blue tarp around it, and I went, like, inside of it. And then we drew, like, the Poliwhirl thing on the front. And I was, like, a huge hula hoop. And I was only, like, six or seven. So, it was just, like, my arms sticking out, my legs sticking out, my head sticking out. And I was Poliwrath. That was, that was pretty incredible. That was my best costume. That is a good costume. Absolutely. We'll get to our poll question now. Let's do the poll question. Any now. other uh, any other Halloween stuff before we get to it? No, no I think people might complain if they <laughs> Episode two hundred nine. Wow, two hundred nine episodes. 
Our poll question brought to you by Blue Orca Sports Memorabilia at Fuel the Fan on Twitter. Go check them out. All of their transactions are done through WhatsApp. Good, good people over there at Blue Blue Orca Sports Memorabilia. Go give them a follow. Go talk to them. Got something fun coming for Harmon soon. We're not going to say what it is because it's uh, going to be very fun from our friends at Blue Orca Sports Memorabilia at Fuel the Fan. Go check them out. What are your thoughts on Travis Green early in the season? He will figure it out. Too early to tell. I'm losing confidence, and as always, I'm angry. Chris, 12% say he will figure it out. 17 say too early to tell. 20% say I'm angry, and a whopping 51% say I am losing confidence. Yeah, not a very uh, positive returns on the poll question about Travis Green. I think that's pretty obvious when you see on social media. There's a lot of talk about him switching up lines too quickly. The thing is, he's not he's not going anywhere. He's not going to get fired this year. That's not going to happen. They just signed him to a two-year deal. He's here with Jim Benning. I don't think that Green's going to be gone at any point this year, no matter how bad the season goes. I don't think they get I, rid of him. I disagree with that. I think he's... he's you think he's on the hot seat more absolutely. than Jim Benning? I, don't I think, think Jim Benning gets fired before Travis Green right now. What do you think? I, I don't think that's the case. And I don't think we're at that point of even talking about a GM. Uh, I don't early. think either of them should be fired. Right. right now. I, I, I haven't given it too much thought yet. Just I, because, again, we're so early. That. Yeah. Okay. So I, I think Travis is going to be kind of the scapegoat here. You really think? He's I don't feel know. a ton of heat for sure. Because, look, Francesco really likes Jim Benning. Like, they have a good relationship with each other. I definitely think Travis is going to feel the heat if this continues. And, yeah, like, I... Very, very strongly disagree that he should be. I think it'd be very wrong if he were the guy to be made as the scapegoat. I just think that's what's going to happen. Out of every part of the organization, you think the coaching staff is feeling the most pressure right now from the fan base? You think it's Travis Green feeling it more than Jim, than Jim players, more than the players? You no. think yeah. the players are feeling it the most? I think the players I are think, probably feeling it as I think, much as Travis. Yes, looking at it on there. social media, I think that I think the coach is getting the most backlash right yes. now from all of the fans. Yeah, yes. absolutely. I think player is a close second. I don't yeah. I, like. There's not a whole lot for Jim yet. Well, and, and which the is strange because he built the team that oh, got him here. And here's the thing: the reason is everybody in the offseason was talking about how great the team is now, yeah. and how oh man, look, they went and well, got caught. And you know Garland. what? OEL, OEL and Garland have looked good. Yeah, so that's been part of something that's worked. True. Like exactly, and that's that's something Jim did, right? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. To me, it's like. I, I think it is something that like the coach does need to make some changes. Obviously we've seen him make changes on the power play, the line. They have the talent that seems like they should be able to be a winning team, at least with the forward lines. But the thing that's hurting them right now is that it's the scoring, right? The defense has been, you know, harm. You've, you've dug into the numbers as much as anybody like the defense is looking somewhat improved. I'd have to say from Absolutely, last year. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're starting to miss some guys. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Pullman out of the lineup, how much that hurts them, how you having to move guys up and down in the top four. But the big pro- the scoring is the problem. So to me, the the biggest pressure should be on Travis Green for putting together four lines that seem to work at five on five, and the players as well to buckle down and start getting scoring chances. But to me, it's not about it's not as much about the the personnel like we've talked about with Jim Benning putting this group together. It's about what that personnel is doing. And right now, offensively at five on five, man, they are they are a bad team at five on five for creating goals right now and creating scoring chances. I think it's a combination of honestly everything. Right, like I had. To be quite honest, I had, I think I was lower on this team than most people. I picked them to miss the playoffs. And if you look at like any analytics model, right? And look, fans are always going to be biased, kind of, like you're, you're going to want to see the optimistic side of things. But at the end of the day, every analytics projection model had them missing the playoffs. 
every single one of them. I did not see a single one. So it's like, yeah, these, it's not to say these models are perfect, but it's like, that's kind of, you know, if there's going to be an objective, like unbiased lens that looks at each team on paper, well, all of them say that the Canucks aren't really a playoff caliber team, that they may be close, but that, you know, that, that was kind of the expectation, right? And whereas I think fans wholeheartedly disagreed with that. So I think that discrepancy of, you know, fans think, and I'm not saying which side is right yet because we're only however many games into the season, but there's clearly a discrepancy in how the market views this team on paper versus how, like, I'm maybe a little bit lower and other people around the league are a little bit lower than how, how this team looks on paper. And so if you're in that camp of you think this is a good 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 team then obviously you're going to expect the coaching staff to kind of step up and you're mad at them for not sque- squeezing enough juice now in having said that i mean like to me the biggest thing also is like we had luke shen on the top pair next to quinn hughes after yeah. one injury like that that's to me is and like you even look at the penalty kill having no right hand in centers having you had one experienced penalty killer going into the season because of your injury situations. And again, like, sure, it's one of those situations where you couldn't have, yeah, you can't always predict injuries, but Brandon Sutter and Tyler Mott always get hurt. Yeah. So it's like fundamentally, like there have been flaws and the PK has cost them a lot. Um, now, I'm not saying the coaching staff is, is absolves of blame at all by any stretch of the imagination because the power play hasn't been good enough. And I think that's an area where the coaching staff needs to buckle down. I think it's a combination, honestly, of everything right now. The top guys aren't executing, right? That's on the players. I do not like the construction of the back end whatsoever. I think that's on the general manager. And then the special teams, specifically the power play, haven't been up to snuff relative to um, the talent level. So I think that's on the coaching staff. So I yeah. think it's a mixed basket. Well, yeah, and if all those three things aren't firing, you're, it, it's strange that all of the... I wouldn't say all, but a big portion of the fingers are being pointed at Travis Green, right? And that's something, yeah, we talked about with maybe the what you kind of mentioned there, the power play being a little bit of a struggle because the personnel, the, the way that you just presented that was perfect. But to me, like, I wonder because there's, there's obviously been improvements to parts of their game. Defensively, it feels like there's improvements. Is it so much about the style that's hurting their offense or what is the thing that's hurting the offense? Because to, to me... This team is going to out is going to like they're never going to have a better defense core than a lot of other teams in the league. They're not going to win because their defensemen are so much better than the other guys. To me, it's about the forwards and the goaltenders that are going to beat other teams. So is there something about the system that Travis Green's running that's making things a little bit easier on Demko, but really hurting the forward group? That's what it feels like to me looking at it as we're 10% into the season here. Like you get it. You're right. We're still early, but still 10% of the season has already gone by here. The forward group they need to start creating some offense at five on five, and there's just not a lot, not enough happening right now. Well, you remember that series against Vegas when they had to defend, right? And they they bought into playing defense. They generated no, nothing no offensively, offensive. exactly. and like so. Here's the thing with with this Canucks team. I think going two years ago, going into the 2019-20 season, they looked at like this team has never created much off the rush. Like never really. Like there have been moments where they have, but. Like last season, they were, I think, 31st in the NHL in generating rush chances, right? And I think a lot of that comes down to when you don't have a team that can break the puck out cleanly because of your back-end personnel, like that's going to be a challenge anyway. But anyway, the point is, two years ago, I think they looked at, hey, we don't create enough in transition, or we're never going to be, we're never going to be Colorado, right? Like we're not going to win games like that. How are we going to win 
games and create enough offense. I think they looked at, okay, we got to create more chances off the forecheck, off the cycle, more down low, being greasier. So they dialed up the notch on their forecheck a lot. And so two years ago, the Canucks were this uber-aggressive forechecking team. And, I mean, look at the identity even of the lotto line. Like, yes, they were so skilled. But what stood out in that year for me was how dominant that lotto line was off the forecheck. They were just on, like, you'd have JT Miller coming in as F1, absolute missile. And then and then Bester strong along the walls. That's a part of his game he'd improved. And then Pedersen is kind of like your F3 smart guy who knows how to support the play. But look at look at that line and what happened with Brock Besser. When did we start to see improvements in Brock Besser's two-way game? Was when that was starting to happen. So if that's what's making your players better, when you see Brock Besser see at his top potential was like that here, season, you got to lean into that to give uh, your players the best chance. Here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. So it helped them offensively. Two years ago, they were the most improved offensive team in the NHL in terms of goals for. What happened last year? They played that same kind of aggressive forecheck, and they had these structural just like catastrophic breakdowns because here's the thing when you have those aggressive when you have that aggressive forecheck you're applying a lot of pressure looks great when you're able to create those turnovers and you kind of have havoc and you're creating chances but if you miss you're getting burned on the rush even minnesota a team who employs that style there was a few chances in that game in the home opener where the canucks broke through and had a two-on-one the other way and it's you know, when you playing so, that so anyway, you have, that should be the way that you should play with this Canucks team to me. That's well, not, that not with well, look what happened last season. Yeah. Like, I think like, but it's changed quite a bit from last year. The yeah, players no, okay. that are in a good spot, no, I think you need to the go back end to the players still on the back is, end are still, yeah, you can't, on, yeah, yeah, it's, back end isn't good enough. It's yeah. Just, it's literally not good. But enough. was it two years ago when this was working for them? No, but what it happened wasn't. to them two years ago? They had a they had a strong offense. It was created off of being really and aggressive. And it didn't work last year, so they were like, "We have to change something." Last year, everyone was but complaining. They changed a lot of personnel defensively, so you could look at something. But they different. didn't get better defensively. But they or got like worse in terms of their back end. And they, like, they things OEL, just aren't working right now. Why would you not try a little bit? You can try, like yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm not saying that's you know necessarily it's right or wrong. I'm just saying it's more of like a pick your poison type thing, right? Where like you had that aggressive forecheck. Yes, it worked two years ago. But last season, like, it was a nightmare. And everyone last season was like, why? This team has no structure. And I was like, that's when I was replying to everyone. I was like, fine, you do that. You want to play more discipline? Fine. They're not going to create any offense. Yeah. Well, that's what we're seeing right now. That's literally what we're seeing right now. Now, part of it, too, is execution, right? Like, I kind of posed that question to Travis Green. And he seemed a little bit defensive about that, where he seemed to kind of imply that, like, our guys just got to execute better and we'll generate more offensively. So that's part of it, too, right? Like... Pedersen right now is handling the like his touch. It's like watching a player in soccer, right? Who is normally really skilled and his touch is just off. When when you're in soccer, when when you're watching a top level soccer player and his touch is off, like he, it's that player's a disaster, right? Like mm-hmm. it's just not he's not the same player. And that's what I'm seeing in Pedersen right now, where it's like the puck is kind of like he's having a really tough time controlling it, accepting passes, bobbling pucks like. So, I mean, that's that's a big part of it, too, right? Like, we, it's kind of hard to judge this team, too, until we see the top guys get going. And, and that, that, I think, is the disappointing part. Yeah. I, I just wonder if if there's a way to get the best out of your players. That's something that I saw from the lot of line at its best, from your top players at their best, was playing a different way with those guys. And Maybe. why would you not want to go back? I don't to know that? what... I honestly don't know what the better option is, because we've seen both, but... Yeah, I mean, and maybe there if you are going to like to me, everyone's like, why does he change up the lines? Why does Travis Green change up the line so much? 
What if if he stays with something and can really develop a game plan for each line to not play the exact same system? You know, the lotto line doesn't play the same as the fourth line. That's what I felt like two years ago. Like I felt like lines were playing different styles of play. Right now, it all feels like they're all trying to play the same style, and it's just not working offensively because they aren't getting any of those turnover, quick turnovers in the offensive zone. They're having a lot of them still in their own zone. So to me, the the, the just the style of play is just not working with this group. I wonder if you have to change things up with not having the exact same system for each line because that's what it felt like two years ago. They didn't feel like all the lines were running the same system two years ago. Uh, I don't know. I think they all kind of bought into that mantra of the we're going to apply a lot of pressure and have this this uber aggressive press yeah well i don't know if i saw that from all the lines like a couple years ago i just felt maybe it well maybe because it worked so much for certain lines that you noticed it more so that could be my fault here with that but to me i i want to see exciting hockey i think that's how the canucks are going to play their best if they are playing you're right though like the entertainment factor is like Sure. Style, and and for a fan there. and for like for me, I like that. That's the way I like to watch. But that maybe that's not the best way to to secure a playoff spot. To, but to me, that is the way for the Canucks to get into a playoff spot is to let your young stars get into spots where they can create as much offense as possible, play aggressive. I, I think there's a lot. Of, I think there should be a lot of heat on the coach here right now. But to me, I don't think he's going anywhere either. Like it's there's nothing. Early. It's Lots, still super yeah. early to answer the poll question. It's still super early, but. You know, as the poll saying, people are losing confidence because the thing that's hurting them right now is is something kind of like Harm said. It's a lot on the players too. Yeah. Top players got to start producing, but is the system the thing that's holding them back from producing? I think that's I, what people are wondering. But see, here's the thing. Like again, I think it's kind of like a pick your poison type thing. I, I, you know what? I wouldn't mind if this persists. You know, then they need to change something and maybe revert back to something that more resembles their older style. And and I do see kind of the appeal from. The perspective of, well, defense isn't really this team's identity, so maybe you just lean into your strengths and like maybe that'll it'll be easier for guys to buy in and, and do that. But I honestly don't think like honestly, I don't think five on five systems is going to be the decisive factor for this team's success. Like I don't think their style of play, like, yeah, you can tinker with it. But, you know, for me, mostly it comes down to, again, like if we're talking about from a coaching perspective, like it's got to be the power play. Like even when this team made the playoffs two years ago, they were outscored at even strength. Mm, yeah. Like they need the special teams to be elite for them. And you can't have a league, a league average power play. Like that to me is a much bigger kind of like thing that I point at and say that's on the coaching staff, right? Like that, like they've got to figure out a way to make things click. And that's more about the staff than just green really with the power play. I mean, I, yeah, like it's, it's, it's the entire staff. I mean, at right. the end of the day, the head coach kind of bears responsibility for that yeah. too, right? Like it's his guy. Um, but yeah, at five on five. Yeah. I mean, it's hard right now. It's hard to tell how much of it is like, cause what if once Pedersen looks normal, like this looks a lot better. Like we don't know. It's kind of, yeah. you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. hard to tell, like still early, like what percentage, like, this team looks bad offensively. No doubt about that. How much of that is their style of play versus how much of it is the execution? It's hard to tell. Like, that's what I'm kind of going through right now. Problem with yeah. this team is, though, they can't, like, to me, I, I struggle to see this team being able to go, like, 15, 5, and 1 for a stretch. They need to start. They need to figure out quicker than, and I know it's still early, and they're still figuring things out, and things aren't happening yet, but this team doesn't have the luxury of being able to, to go on a massive run, I don't think. It, you know, maybe they do. I hope they do. I hope they can go on a run at a certain point to kind of get them into a playoff spot and then hold it there. But if they continue to play like this for another 
three weeks. People are saying, give it a month, give it six weeks. I I have to say, you got to see some changes over the next two to three weeks here. Otherwise you get too far behind. This team's just not skilled enough. And there's enough teams that are competing for a playoff spot in the Pacific that they'll just be out of a spot and they won't be able to get back. Yeah. You're probably right about that. We'll, uh, We'll close out, but we'll 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 touch on Kyle Beach a bit first. Uh, for those that don't know, the Chicago Blackhawks sexual abuse scandal that's been going on, the lawsuit uh, up to a couple days ago, the plaintiff was just known as John Doe. Uh, did not know the identity of the player. That player revealed himself to be Kelowna native Kyle Beach. Uh, Kyle Beach came forward uh, in a very courageous interview with Rick Westhead of TSN, who has done some absolutely tremendous work. Uh, covering this story and being right on top of it. And as Kyle himself said in that interview, um, you, you really don't know if we'd be here. Um, and when he says that, he means having the interview and having all the publicity around it. Um, if if it weren't for the work that Rick was doing. Uh, that was really, really strong journalism from uh, Rick Westhead there at TSN. So shout out to him. But uh, yeah, well, Kyle that's a Beach. big thing that just, you know, Kyle even talked about in the interview. I finally got a chance to listen to the whole thing mm-hmm. just yesterday, actually, because I was at work when it dropped. But to hear how many people felt like they were just sweeping this story under the rug. Thank thank goodness that Rick wasn't going to be one of those people. And for him to do this much investigating, this story probably this story doesn't have like, does this happen with the NHL doesn't address this without Rick Westhead? I don't think no, so. Don't huge. Know. Huge props for Rick. Likely for doing not. This. Likely not. Likely not. Sure, sure. Likely not. But to me, you know, we've seen a lot of these things in the past. I wonder how many other things have been swept on the rug without guys like Rick reporting this, doing an incredible job. So yeah, and here's the thing: is like, um, you know, you assume there's more. Like I just saw a report from the Athletic that literally popped on my phone while we were recording this. But uh, Brad Aldridge joined USA Hockey after the Hawks, like four months after leaving Chicago, and that wasn't really. Super public, I think, before. But, uh, yeah, you, you never know how many survivors there are out there. And, you know, you know, Brad Aldrich aside, there's a lot more Brad Aldrich's out there, yeah. right? Like, there's a lot of abuse that goes on in, in a lot of different parts of society. The scary thing is there's a lot of these Brad Aldrich guys out there. And the unfortunate thing is there's even more of guys that were in situations like Kyle Beach because guys that are in yeah. Brad Aldrich's spot, they aren't just stopping at one person. And you yeah. heard that in the interview with with, with Kyle. With Kyle saying that, that just like, you know, that part was the most emotional part for me when he was talking about the other 16 year old kid um, at the school. I forget the prep school. Was it St. Was it St. Mary's? I might be wrong with that. I think it was, but I might be wrong that I might be wrong with that. But just hearing him talk about like, you know, how bad he felt that he couldn't be the one to step up and how proud he was of the 16 year old kid that was able to bring this to attention to get Brad Aldrich. I don't even care about the guy's name just to like hear how he was actually caught you know, it's just, it's so bad that this was going on for a long time and, and major shame on the Blackhawks. I mean, you, yeah. the week preceding the actual interview happening, some of the quotes were just like, that's the real bad side of hockey, man. Like when they start to care about Stanley cups more than well, literally just a person's life, not like, only that, ridiculous. but you know, Joel Quenville on the aftermath of this has stepped down, resigned as head coach of the Florida Panthers again. Like, look, Joel Quenville, like Stan Bowman was the one that said that Joel Quenville knew about it and was told about it. Joel Quenville said that he learned about it this past summer. Like that's what he was saying before that. So, you know, Quenville lied and that was a decision he chose to make. But again, like, you know, Frank Saravalli uh, of Daily Faceoff did point this out as well. Like the Blackhawks put out a statement and they're like, oh, we, we commend Kyle, Kyle for coming forward uh, and we apologize for the actions of like our past um 
past employees or whatever they said. Uh, and he made a good point. Like he said, like they didn't apologize for making it seem like Kyle's claims were completely meritless yep. and like making him seem like a liar. They didn't apologize for that. And that was just, yeah, that was just not very nice. And Harmon, you did a really good job uh, last night on the intermission panel of uh, tackling a heavy subject like this. But yeah, you, you didn't kill it with his monologue. Like that was, yeah. that was really powerful. That was, you know, pretty kind of, uh, emotional and yeah, I mean, it's just, man, just, there's just like, this can never happen again. Like this can yeah. just never, ever happen again. I, I just don't know what more to say than that. Yeah, absolutely. I will just, we'll close out, but I'll quickly finally read just one more thing I want to say about how, like for Kyle beach to go out and do this. I think the thing that I mentioned about him talking about how emotional he was for a 16 year old kid, for him to come out and speak was so powerful and showed so much, he was so courageous to do that, that I think he did change people's lives. Cause he was, you could tell that he was really hurt like that. That was the most emotional part when he talked about the 16 year old that was sexually abused after him. That was the part that hit him emotionally, him coming out and doing this, I think will help a lot of people yeah, moving forward. And I know this is something he wants to commit to moving forward as well, hearing him talk. Yeah. So I just want to say like, he's already changed lives. Absolutely. How, how courageous Kyle Beach was for doing this and putting, cause listen, if we were just saying John Doe, I don't think it's as powerful as no. us now saying Kyle Beach's name on this podcast. And I think that is really important that he went out and man, just little like heroic stuff there from Kyle Beach and just major props to him for coming out because he is going to save people uh, moving forward because of what he did on shoot. Was it Tuesday, Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday? Yeah. yeah. When he came out and did that interview, Yeah, him and Rick, are going to save a lot of people's lives because of that. Yeah, absolutely. I'll just, we'll close it out with a statement from Kyle Beach before we, uh, we close out here. He says, I have immense gratitude for the outpouring of endless love and support that has come through within the past 48 hours. Although the results of the private investigation have been released and the Blackhawks have apologized, my battle is really just beginning as the Blackhawks continue to attempt to destroy my case in court. While I take this time to reflect and continue the healing process, it is a reminder that this is not about me as an individual. This is to promote open communication that will facilitate change for the future to promote safety as well as the health and well-being of society as a whole. Thank you. Powerful words, man. Yeah. And just he, absolute hero for Kyle Beach. Yeah. And if you haven't, haven't already, definitely go check out that interview on TSN. Yeah. Most yeah. definitely. Good Absolutely. way to wrap it up there. Uh, yeah. Harmon, you're, I think you're going to be on the road next time we were recording. So it was nice to get you in here back to back yeah. weeks here and appreciate you making some time for it today. It's been good. Even though you guys in your coffee crisp, I don't know. People I hope people in the replies better have my back here. I swear if people they will, are, they will. They will. They know I always coffee have crisp. The uncontro- is good. Like no one should ever take my food take seriously. Like <laughs> at please. Least, at like, least you can admit it. Well, it's better than the freaking mayo on stage. We're, gonna have we're a, not even getting into this. On the right show now. on Saturday, we're gonna have to we'll get Josh and we'll then we're gonna bury him. Josh. We'll be grilling him. I'm, grilling I've him. never done anything that bad. Yeah, that That's, was ridiculous. Yeah, that was ridiculous. All right. For Chris Faber and Harmon Dial, my name is Dave Quadrelli. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Thanks for listening to Canucks Conversation. Delivered by DoorDash. Hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. How about keep it to a thank you, Jim? Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. 
And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.